Welcome to the Elevating Voices in Leadership podcast brought to you in partnership with Pepperdine University's Graduate School of Education. I'm Dr. Gabriela Miramontes and I will be your host today. Uh, with me today are my co-hosts, Dr. Maria Brome and Dr. Ozia Ghazi. And our guest today is Dr. Toby Tomlinson Baker, who earned her PhD at Pepperdine University and is a lecturer at Cal State University LA. She teaches special education with the LA Unified School District. Dr. Baker was awarded top education policy writer for exceptional needs today. She has also received the Harris, Harrison Sylvester Award for her research by the Learning Disability Association and has been Chad's 2018 Educa Educator of the Year. So Dr. Tomlinson, Tomlinson so, Baker, welcome. It's so great to have you. Yeah, and I'm so, so sorry Dr. about Baker, this. Or, yeah, Dr. Baker or Dr. Toby, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm just, middle, my middle name is Tomlinson, but um, yeah. So thank you Got so it. much for having me. I'm so glad to be here with you today. So, um, and you can hear me okay and everything? So, okay, mm -hmm. great. So thank you. So, um, so uh, Dr. Toby. Tell us a little bit about your background. I know that we brought you on board to speak about the work you're doing in special needs, but tell us a little bit about yourself, what got you into the field, all of that good stuff. So um, when I uh, started um, in special education back in 2000, as um, I was a behavior interventionist while I was getting my master's, and then in 2004, I became a, a special ed teacher, um, I became interested in um, how teachers are teaching students with disabilities and how I could uh, best effectively teach. And so I just know, um, and also, um, I also have a uh, learning disability, ADHD. And um, so I, when I started doing my doctoral research, I looked into how faculty could better support and accommodate post-secondary students with disabilities. And I found that there's just a huge amount of students um, dropping out of college when um, I, I I think um, mainly they're not seen as scholars, and I think a lot of times uh, people with disabilities, students with different disabilities, have been told they're not good at school or that you know they aren't able to succeed. And so I I aim to change that. You know um, my my mission has always been to support post-secondary students with disabilities so that we can um, increase them uh, to graduate from college. So. So you said you um, entered the field back in 2000. What even attracted you to the field itself? Um, I think at first, you know, it's funny when I, I actually majored in theater undergrad um, and English um, because I, I, when I was about, you know, when I was 18 and graduated from high school, I said, I'm never going to be a teacher. Well, and then, you know, then I became a teacher and I liked it and I loved the kids. So um, I, I think especially there's something, you know, it takes a special person to be in, in special education. I, I believe that all educators, regardless if they are general educators or special educators, we're all teaching students with disabilities now. Um, we all know somebody with a disability. Um, so when I meet teachers to say, well, I don't, I don't teach students with disabilities, I disagree with them completely. I'm like, everybody has somebody in their life that has a disability. And so um, I really um, 
as far as the field itself, I really want to influence, um, well, mainly um, post-secondary students with disabilities to, to move forward and succeed. And then also influence faculty to not be afraid of teaching post-secondary post students as faculty in higher ed, but also K through 12. So I have a, a special, you know, I'm both K through 12 and higher education. So I'm, and then I'm teaching uh, future teachers at Cal State. So I'm kind of doing a little bit of everything with that. And then um, myself, as somebody with a disability, I kind of can see, you know, um, you know, what do I need to do that I would have liked to have had, or, you know, I, I have, you know, empathy towards um, people with disabilities. I had a student at Cal State who had um, a visual impairment. And so I, you know, I was able to assist her better. She became one of my favorite students. I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but she became one of my favorites. So, um, and I think she was afraid at first. I said, oh, you know, relax. You know, I think getting to know the professors is super important and having a relationship. And so um, those are some of the things that I looked at when I was doing my research at Pepperdine. So. so speaking of which, tell us a little bit about that research. So I did a qualitative case study um, in 2021, and um, I did it all through 2020 and 2021. And I interviewed uh, professors to find out, um, you know, what do they know about special education? And I was um, surprised that a lot of them a lot of them showed compassion. A lot of them knew somebody with a disability. And that actually, you know, I interviewed somebody who has um, a, a, um, a, a baby who has a disability herself. Her child has a disability, but then she's in the classroom teaching students with disabilities. So it was an interesting mix of, um, you know, who, who these people know in their personal lives and how that carries over to their um, their teaching in the, in the um, higher education. So that was uh, very interesting. And then um, some of the other just interesting uh, findings, just, you know, really quickly is that they said, you know, they wish they had more training and that there isn't enough support. And I looked at it as from a national, was it just in the United States? It wasn't uh, completely global. It was just in the United States. But um, the uh, level of uh, fear of, you know, what's what what do I have to do so I don't get fired? What's in the law? So that's where I really looked at special education law, and that's where I headed towards policy, is that the professors seemed to be, felt, they felt like they were treading on water. What do I have to do so I don't get in trouble? So, and I don't want professors to feel that way. And so I took it that way that, you know, I'm not your, I'm not, interviewing you because I'm trying to make you feel bad or, you know, I wanted to support them and say, well, what would you really like to have? And they were very creative. They said, you know, they had some very clever answers about what the college is, you know, well, if, if we're up to me, I would tell the college to do this and I would tell the college to do, and it was, it was fun. So, and I wanted them to feel comfortable too. So that's a little bit about my study. So. Were there any any aha moments or any anything that kind of stood out to you as far as your research was concerned that you weren't expecting? I think um, it's interesting that um, some of the professors themselves uh, had uh, disabilities themselves, and it was interesting to me 
to see that they were, you know, they still, they didn't want to be viewed that way. And that when they're in the classroom, they're the professor and they were actually almost less sympathetic toward other students with disabilities. Cause I think they figured if they did it, then, then, then you have to do it too. So it, you know, so I think that was where they were coming from, which was interesting to me, just a little interesting tidbit. So. Um, but I, and I enjoyed doing this study because I, uh, you know, because I have been the student and, um, you know, I was thinking about this um, as I, when I was taking classes um, at Pepperdine, uh, one of my professors, one of the semesters in my PhD program, um, I said, uh, you know, I went up and I said, oh, I have, you know, accommodations. Did you get the accommodations letter? And they said, I have 80 emails in my, I didn't even check my box. What did it say? And so one of the things that I always tell other people is to check with your professors way ahead of time and to know your accommodations. I meet so many students with disabilities. They have no idea what their psychologists have written about. I'm like, read your reports, read, know your disability, Google it, do some research. And so that's one of the things that I carry over when I do seminars for parents or for, um, for schools. Um, that's one of the things that I tell my high school and my college students is, you know, read your IPs. You've gone, you know, you've had these for years, read them. So. Do you have any recommendations for faculty? So now that oh, yeah. you're on this side of it. Oh yeah. So, um, some of the recommendations that we had, we, we I, I'm including some of my study participants because they had some genius ideas too. Uh, some of them, some of the most interesting ones were that um, they said they, which resonated, which I actually changed a little bit, was that I think they should have, um, at, at all colleges nationwide, this is a sort of a, a you know, the, in the future, in the dream, um, every department at each university have somebody who specializes in disabilities because faculty in the Spanish department would bring it up and say, well, we don't have enough support in special education. Well, if there's one person there that they can go to, they don't have to run to the office of accessibility. If there's a point person that's easier to access. So that was one of the recommendations. Um, but specifically, um, I've written articles about get to know the students. Um, I hear it so many times that there's a, a disconnect between the student who comes and sits in the back of the room when they're supposed to sit in the front of the room and they just somehow the professor didn't do anything and the student didn't do anything and it's the day before the exam four months later and they they haven't they still haven't connected and that that shouldn't be so um, they should always have some sort of connection the first day hopefully so so that's like definitely to... something I would recommend sorry go ahead yeah no I'm so, I didn't mean to interrupt but I'm just I'm so excited to hear about your work and thank you you know yeah and congrats congratulations thank you doing, um, and one thing that I'm curious about is with this wonderful accomplishment of yours you. to have your doctorate mm -hmm. as someone with ADHD have you been able to leverage that success to empower students or faculty to sort of 
yeah, give them strength and power and enthusiasm about moving forward. At, you know, I mean, you're such an example for these people. Well, and that's, it's funny, that's what I, um, some of the things that I've been up to, I just have been getting out there as much as possible on LinkedIn or connecting with people just like your group um, and -hmm. just connecting with with professors at Pepperdine or connecting with professors at Cal State. Um, I've written articles. I've connected. I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And um, so I have written op-eds and and, uh, policy reports for um, Senator Bob Casey, who has started uh, the RISE Act back and they proposed that back in July and so I actually um, they know me very well at that office so um, I you know so I, I follow up with them I also have been doing a lot with LDA and um, doing um, another I'm doing uh, a, there's a webinar that I'm uh, is coming out next week and so I've just been very active in um, I'm doing a you know parent seminars um, in LA and also in Pennsylvania um, one of them is Delaware Valley Friends School um, where um, I tra- I'm going to be speaking with uh, parents and and families and so forth um, I also um, have been consulting um, with you know I have a student who goes to Delaware County Community college and she is struggling to find a major and that's one of the things that I work on with her is if she's taking a course here and taking a course there and taking course she's you've got to find a major and so I've been counseling and working with her and her mother and so I've been just kind of doing a little bit of everything and working full-time as a special ed teacher in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. so um but um, yeah, I want to help as many people as I can. And so, you know, I always just go back to my mission that I want more students with disabilities um, like my, you know, myself to be able to succeed and not, um, and, and not use that as an excuse to hold them back. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, what is, you mentioned a couple of things. So what's the RISE Act? The RISE Act actually is... Um, a, and I actually wrote this in my dissertation about having IEPs in college. And so um, I, you know, if it's, I mean, this is in my, my data, this is my boring data and research, 97% of students succeed in college and grad or high school and graduate, and that plummets to 23%. Um, 72%, this was my starting data back in, you know, 2000. 18 and 19, 72% of students in higher ed were dropping out of college um, with disabilities. And so that was like my starting point. I said, how come I'm one of the 28% there should, this should be higher. This has to change. And what can I do to change it? And so that's what started the whole where, and I deliberately pinpointed, uh, you know, there's I always say this are all kinds of factors. It could be, you know, there's, you know, the uh, family aspect, social economic status, there's all these things. I literally specifically targeted faculty because I wanted to be a faculty member and, you know, a faculty teacher. And um, I always, you know, I'm a teacher in the classroom. So, and I love training teachers. I'm a a trainer of teachers with Los Angeles Unified School Districts. So uh, the whole training teachers, and I've actually talked with Dr. Gabby about this years ago. (laughs) Um, You know, that's my area is training teachers. That's something I can do and I know how to do. That's my area. So, um, that's why I specifically thought, you know, why can't this carry, if they're successful in 
high school, why not be successful in college? There's absolutely no reason why students with disabilities can't succeed. And so that's, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to help everybody I can. So. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. So. So when you talk about training teachers, um, what what avenues do you currently, is it just higher ed or are you developing any outside training opportunities or? Well, for training right now, I'm teaching, um, I'm, I'm teaching at LUSD as a special ed, te ed teacher, but then I'm also teaching um, uh, future teachers who are getting their master's level program at Cal State. So I also teach uh, special education law. And so they ultimately, I do that also. And then I also do parent trainings, like the one I'm doing at Delaware Valley Friends School, where I, I present the same sort of material, my data and my research. And, and, um, and usually those are, um, um, like uh, high school transition. Um, sometimes I've done um, transition uh, seminars at uh, Mount St. Mary's or um, sometimes just as a guest speaker, kind of like I am today, just being a guest speaker. Um, so, um, but that that's basically uh, what I've been doing is, is uh, t teaching um, and getting my research out there right now. Um, I hope to, you know, be able to speak to more people um, and develop a, a client base and so forth. So, okay. um, so, so as we're talking about um, your your journey, if you will, mm -hmm. um, how did how did Pepperdine or how did your leadership degree? help inform that process? Well, it's interesting because as a, I think my biggest takeaway as a leader is that I want other people to be leaders. That's one of the biggest things that I learned at Pepperdine, along with many other things, reading leadership books like Covey and Simon Sinek and, and all the, you know, um, but um, I've always felt that a, a true leader is trying to build other leaders. So I, I also always say that if you don't finish undergrad, you can't go on and get a master's and ultimately a PhD or an EDD. Um, you can't go, you can't move forward if you don't get your undergrad. So um, I really wanted to, um, as, as I think um, Dr. Brahm said, is that I'm an example as myself, you know, if I, I often, when I'm doing my parent trainings, what here's what I did to be successful. Here's what you could do to be successful. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, reading your IEPs, knowing your disability, how to talk to people um, at the Office of Accessibility, writing down their names, knowing your social security number, all of these things that you need to know to be successful in college, how to talk to a professor, how to go to office hours, how to keep an appointment and not be late and make sure that you're get there. So all of these um, sort of uh, things that, you know, when I talked to professors, they said, well, I was supposed to meet with the student, but they never showed up. So they must not care about their education. And I'm thinking, no, that's probably not the case. Maybe they 
have a disability that impacts their ability to show up on time or they have anxiety. I work with a student who had an anxiety disorder and she was on her way to an exam and she had a panic attack. So she didn't take the exam and then failed the class. So um, all of these things impact, like these are kinds of things where, you know, that's where I counsel students or um, talk to parents and uh, talk to families and, um, and, and so, but this also goes to faculty, specifically faculty. I think a lot of them, I think they are afraid, not afraid, but afraid to teach students with disabilities because a lot of them have the feeling that if they've been accepted to the university, they must learn like everybody else who's been accepted. And that's not necessarily the case. So I think, um, a lot of faculty who are successful uh, reaching and mentoring students with disabilities have had um, have had uh, have had experience teaching students with disabilities, but also um, are able to communicate with them. Have uh, they know people who have disabilities, maybe in their families? So I think a lot of that impacts um, the professorship and how you're effective in the classroom. So I don't know if that answered your question exactly, but. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know that there's a, a right answer, right? Format, when we think yeah. about this. Yeah, so, um, leadership is so big and your approach is actually <laughs> phenomenal. So thank you. Um, you know, when we think about disability, I think there's this, this for some, this feeling of discomfort, right? And I don't mm. know that it, it's, it seems to be a discomfort of the unknown, maybe, or of the mm -hmm. different, or mm -hmm. um, talk to me a little bit about disability from the diversity space. Mm. I, I think that's really a big concern right now. Well, it's always been a concern, but, you know, when we talk about the diversity space, everybody mm -hmm. focuses on racism or, mm -hmm. you know, those tactical things. But I know that there's a lot of... Um, issues around ableism and so talk a little bit about that i think there's a misconception especially or among faculty that students with disabilities are not able to learn or that they are not able to succeed or that they will not be that you know they're they're they shouldn't be in college. There's professors who actually have told me this, this student should not be in school. They're not able to do it. Uh, not even just in their class. Uh, sometimes they've said, you know, the student's not going to pass the class. Tell them, you know, just they shouldn't be there. So that's actually a concern because if the professor, and that goes to self-efficacy, if the professor already has the notion that this student's not going to succeed, it chances are the student probably won't succeed. Or uh, one of my study participants came right out and said, she says all of her students with disabilities, they always get a C. She says she gives them a C right off the bat. Regardless how they, even if they're doing A plus work, she gives them a C. And why would that be? <laughs> that's what I said. <laughs> I, so I, I don't that, even understand that's that. A, a perception so yeah. um you know yeah. that again i'm willing and I'm, I'm trying to change why is that and this is just last year this isn't you know 30 years ago this is just yeah. this is recent so 
Um, you know, there were some interesting moments. Um, you know, one of the professors said that everybody should everybody should have accommodations. Nobody should ever have to ask for them. And I said, oh, that's interesting. So, um, but I think the misc the as far as the perception, there were a lot of. Uh, time constraint, having to provide additional time was a huge, um, imp it was impacting the uh, negative attitude of professors. And that was a huge area of my uh, dissertation. Uh, why do professors feel this way that, you know, if they have to give double time on a test and they have class from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., well, they have to stay till 6 p.m. because this other student, or they have to send the test, obviously, to the you know Office of Accessibility to have the student continue. Um, what I bring up as a student myself was that, well, it's my time too. This is time I'm not going out with my friends for pizza because I have to sit and take a test. And, or, you know, so uh, there's that angle too, um, that it's not always just about the professor. And I think sometimes the professors think that that's, you know, um, another area, which was interesting. They all said they, all of them, all of my study participants agreed they needed further training and they they said you know they don't just just don't have enough training so then when asked would they actually attend the training most of them said no they don't have time so there was you know a little push so yeah. i think um it's something I continue to work at, and I, you know what? I it's it's a it, and even Dr. Gabriella said that it's it's not a fun topic, but it's not you know it's it's a difficult thing for I mean other people to you know they don't like talking about disabilities, yeah. but you know what? It's it's there, and you know we can you know overcome it. I am a very positive person, and I want other people to feel that they can succeed and not feel that they're. Um, that they they won't you know the minute they get to college they just already they're they can't do it i want them to feel like they can do it so so when you talk to i'm sorry i don't mean to hog the oh, yes. conversation but it's so sorry. fascinating so <laughs> yeah so you have shared that you love um teaching teachers what are some of the perspectives that you would love you want them to have some compassion, person. compassion, empathy, um, just, um, I think compassion in the sense that uh, that was one of the biggest ones that I see is that, well, if it was them, how, if the tables were turned, what would they do for themselves? How would they serve themselves? So I think that's just something, you know, if it was you walking in those shoes, what, how, you know, how would that feel? And that's with anybody that goes back to Dr. Gabriella's question about the diversity. That's with anybody. Um, you know, how would that feel if, you know, how does it feel to be homeless or how does it feel to, um, you know, have be of this, um, socioeconomic group or to have, you know, whatever it is, um, having, empathy and, and sympathy, but empathy towards, you know, how do you want to be treated? And that also goes back to leadership. I think, um, you know, a, a true leader 
you know, isn't there to be the spotlight. They're there to help the other people. They're helping to make other people leaders. So, um, you know, I think um, as far as um, training other teachers, I want them to not be afraid to teach people with disabilities because that was a big thing that I said that like three times now. They seem to be, they just don't want to do it. Uh, they've stated it's just easier to teach non-disabled peers. It's easier. And so to have that mentality, it's, it's, you see this in, in elementary school, like, oh, you have that kid this year. Oh, you know, oh, you have so-and-so, oh, you got him. So it's that same mentality um, you know you're going to have this person for four years. Who's going to who's going to be the and and it goes back to I mean it, um, it didn't happen to me, but um, you know ha, who's going to be the dissertation chair for the person with the disability? So you know yeah. that's a question. Who's going to take that on? So I interviewed one gentleman who um, in my study who um, was he was. Uh, the, assigned to assist he was a, a spanish teacher and back in the 80s and he was assigned to um work with a person with a disability and he didn't want to do it straight up he he said no and, the, and he ended up doing it and he said it it changed the way that he saw disabilities so um i think people need to not be afraid and that you know that would that would work towards ending the um the um, stigma and work towards uh, increasing more uh, support with diversity in that sense. So, you know, knowledge is power. The more that you know, then, you know, you, you're not afraid, you know, who wants to be afraid their first day of teaching class? None of us, you know, we all, you know, you go in and you're like, oh, you have all these students, but, you know, they need you. So, you know, that's, that's how, you know, how I, when I train other uh, professors or teachers, um, I, you know, you're the one who's there for them, support them. And so, yeah. So I don't know if that, does that answer your question a little bit? Yeah, so. sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. like uh, Dr. Gabby said, there's no right answer. It's just such a, yeah. a really important topic that, Thank you. you know, gets buried and there's sort of fear on you know kind of almost all participants right in the process and so this is so you know important to talk about thank so, you yeah so, yeah well actually okay. so let me follow up on that then <laughs> um so i'm i'm really curious and i'm sure you've learned a lot about this and so the um instructor that you mentioned that didn't want to work with um, some kind of, uh, a person with a student with disability. So what do you perceive as the fear um, on the part of the faculty, whether it's higher ed or wherever it is? Yeah. So I think that, and that literally goes into my study, which is why I leaned into to law. Um, across the board, all of the study participants said they didn't know enough about special education. And some of them have never even taught. They lecture, but they've never been a teacher. So, and there's a difference between having pedagogy and knowledge of pedagogy and just kind of winging it. You know, I think, um, you know, professors have 
PhD, I have a PhD, so I know this and that's when I know. Um, that doesn't necessarily know, mean they know everything and they have said they need more, there's not enough training in special education law. And that goes back to the idea of, well, what, what do I only have to do so I can keep my job and not get fired? And so then when it goes back to, do you know the ADA? Do you know the IDEA? Do you even know what that means? What are those acronyms? What are special education act? I mean, now if you go into heavy special education, you know, if you think about it, if they're all special education teachers in a sense, if they have to teach a student with a disability, how do they carry that over? How do I uh, implement uh, accommodations correctly? What are the accommodations? Where does it state that? How do I find that? So there's all of these things that if there were a special education training, across the board, just like they have K through 12, K through 12, K through 12 teachers across the nation must have some sort of special education training. Even if it's just a little two hour module or now, I mean, even if it's just to, you know, cover the district, there's something, there's nothing in higher education, it's optional. And that's what a lot of, um, you know, if you think about it, when you get hired, we all got hired somewhere at a college. You don't go home after you got hired. You go home and you look at your syllabus and you start planning. You don't go home and read case law. You don't go home and start, you know, preparing. You just don't. You don't prepare for that one student. You set up the rest of your class first and start working it that way. Um, and then you have, you know, one or two or three or four, how many students with disabilities in your class? And then it becomes a burden in a sense of, well, what else do I have to do? And that's where the time constraint comes in and I have to do extra work and it comes time away from your family or time away from your dog or whatever it is. So, um, but the attitude needs to change because, you know, this is a service field, you're serving people. So um, in that sense, you know, I spent, you know, 15 hours transferring um, uh, PowerPoints for, so that they were uh, able to have special lines and colors for my one student with a visual blind disability in my class. I didn't, especially with my training here and with my you know, dissertation, I didn't look at it like, oh, this is taking time away from whatever. I looked at it like, oh, I'm going to help this, this person so that she can pass my course and she became one of my favorites. So, um, you know, the, uh, she was very interested in the topic. She wants to be a special education teacher and she loves the kids. And so, I, you know, that motivated me and, you know, it, it didn't feel that I was being, t but there are professors, if you look at nationwide, every, you know, and all colleges, this is something I said in my dissertation, all colleges are not created equal. If you look at, you know, colleges in Pennsylvania, colleges in California, colleges, wherever they are, they're, they're not the same and the quality is different. And then you look at all the, you know, community colleges are different than private colleges versus state colleges versus what is. You know, so every college is different at some point to reach the diversity level that Dr. Gabriella is talking about. There has to be, has to, at some point, there's going to be a push where everybody has to be served. Right now, uh, the ADA, uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and this is where I get heavy in the law, um, which is what I think professors should know. 
Okay, and this was one of my study questions. Do you know which special ed law covers college? None of them knew, none of them. Again, they don't go home and read case law. They don't go home and look at the website for their university to see which laws cover special education. They should because on each website of the colleges, there's, a, you know, again, they, they do have a website for services with disabilities. The ADA covers um, all colleges nationwide. The problem is the ADA is great for accessibility and uh, discrimination, but not academic services. It has nothing to do in the ADA about how to provide accommodations. So well. the professors, even if they did read the ADA, it has nothing to do with how to provide accommodations. So of course, professors don't know how, they don't know how, especially if they're not trained. It's optional and the law is wrong. So it's, and that's where I go back to the RISE Act. The RISE Act would remedy having the services for post-secondary students with disabilities. So when we get those notices about accommodations, the ADA is covered by that. That's one person at, at some place like Pepperdine. You have a marvelous department. I actually use that as a sophisticated program. Is every school in the nation as great as Pepperdine? I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, if you look at the services at the Malibu campus and the service director there and then compare them to other universities, I mean, and also, you know, this is a private university versus a state institution. So there's all, there are all kinds of variables that you have to look at. So, and what are their, what's their training and how many people are staffed in some places in Colorado, Minnesota, there's one person for the whole campus or all the camp, you know, so, and how big is the campus and how many people are there? So there's all sorts of variables. Um, and that, you know, ultimately made my paper huge, but, um, but that's why, again, narrow it down to just, well, how can I support the faculty? So, um, but yeah, so does that answer a little bit of- Well, and to your point where you said that the ADA doesn't cover the how-to, it just says you have the to do law. X? Yes, it, so it, opens, it opens the door, it provides access, because remember in the 1970s, like 73 with Judith Human and the, um, you know, the, uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, that was infrastructure for all people, not specifically students. And at that, post-secondary students. Now the IDEA, that's K through 12. The minute a student graduates from high school, this is devastating, I've written articles about it. The minute they graduate and they get their piece of paper, that law no longer applies to them. The ADA kicks in. So the, then I train parents and students, do they know what legislation follows them to college? So, and again, have they read their IPs? It goes, but it's a whole thing. So um, it's, it's, it, that's, again, that's why I just worked on training teachers. So I think, um, I think professors need a, a new attitude makeover, and I don't think they need to spend hours and hours reading law, but I think they need to definitely get to know the students and talk to them. They don't, you don't have to self-disclose your, your 
your, uh, you know, and student never has to self-disclose their disability, but they do know, need to know their accommodations. They, you know, go to a professor. You don't say, oh, I have ADHD. You go and you say, oh, Dr. So-and-so, I need to sit up in front of the class. I need copies of your PowerPoints. I need them sent to me ahead of time so I can read them. And I need um, to meet with you once a week, um, even if it's just a check-in. And then, and know these things and, and meet with them and say, here's, you know, here's why I need it because, uh, you know, not your disability, you just say, I need this because I need to focus more. Sometimes I need things explained to me a different way. These are all accommodations. And I actually, um, I have, you know, if you look at um, the accommodations, uh, there's tons of accommodations, K through 12 um, in college. Everything that's written in an IEP under the free appropriate public education section, the FAPE section of the, uh, all, this, all the things, your extra time, you're, you're moving to the front of the class, whatever it is, all those accommodations are optional in college. Because here's the thing, you don't have to go to that college. You can apply and the college has the power to say no. Go somewhere else. It's that simple. So the college does not have to accept you. That's, that's kind of what it comes down to. So, yeah. Do you, do you have to disclose to the college before they accept you? Well, that's an interesting thing. So here's how it goes. The student with disability has to go to the OSA. Um, there's the HIPAA and FERPA, and the HIPAA acts are the protection of the medical services. And so you don't have to disclose your medical services. Okay, so you, you're, the student just graduated high school. Yeah, it's graduated. Nobody knows they have a disability and they don't want anybody to know. Not a good thing. Here's why. Go to college. Don't tell your friends. You must tell the Office of Accessibility. T find one person and tell that one person and say, you must show up with your documentation because here's the thing about HIPAA. If you go to the OSA and you say, oh, Gabriella at the, at the OSA, I, have, I, need, I need accommodations. And then you say, well, where's your, where's your documentation? And you say, well, I have HIPAA rights. I don't have to self-disclose to you. They can say no. Why should they give you the accommodations if you don't have the documentation? You must, absolutely must, must support, you must have absolute uh, psychologist uh, documentation with your disability and your previous paperwork, all your IPs or whatever you have from kindergarten, first grade, second grade, whatever it is. That's the only person that needs to know. That's it. After that, you don't have to tell anybody, especially your professors, it's none of their business. But if the professor sees somebody fidgeting at the back, they don't have to know their disability, but they do need to know that they can come up so that they can focus a little bit better so they're not as fidgety. So that's the service not knowing the accommodation. So the only person that should know is your Office of Accessibility contact person, whoever that is. That's interesting that you say that. Um, our notices obviously don't have any of that information, right? We yeah. have- And that's the way it should this, be. Yeah. yeah, who the student is and the fact that they need accommodations. And um, we actually are told what the accommodations should be, but they're very broad, right? It's not like, like what you just said about people having to sit in the front of the class and you know needing to check in. Like that's, I've never seen that on an accommodation. What I've seen is they need more time 
you need to provide uh, the opportunity for someone to take notes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the other thing I've seen is, I've also not had a lot of these. Um, I've seen them more in the last year than I had previously. Mm -hmm. um, but they're generally like just more time around tests. I don't give tests in my class, so that's not an issue. Um, more time to turn in assignments and and the the ability to have somebody else take notes for them. And those but, are easy things to remedy, but when you have somebody who has a specific thing, if they ask for it, that by law, the college can say no. It's a, it can be a hardship. And that's when you go to the dean and the dean meets with, you know, your higher ups and you have this big board meeting kind of meeting and everybody's all uncomfortable and you figure out, well, are we going to serve the student or are we going to say no? And and sometimes, depending on what it is, um, maybe it's not something that, that the college feels they can do. So um, there have been, um, I guess, for example, um, and not with my study, but another professor told me that one of her students said she needed two years to finish a coursework. And the college said, no, you must finish it in form. You know, this is the allotted. They, they said, no, this is a hardship. You just can't take as long as you want to do whatever. You have to finish it. So um, at that point, it was kind of a, you know, obviously that person did not finish or that's the story that I heard. But those are the kinds of, maybe an example of that where it was unreasonable that the college say, oh yes, we can just do that. You can make up your whole schedule. Don't worry about the college, you know, the, we'll just do whatever you want. No, the college said no, and that was fine. They were within the law. So, um, but it's, it's things like that. But generally speaking, a little extra time, a copy of a PowerPoint, moving to the front of the class. And, and, and I found that most professors are fine with that. It's when they don't know how to do something that they get stuck and a little bit like, well, how much time or what am I supposed to do here? And that's when they go to the OSA. And that was one of the recommendations is what can we do to make it um, so the, the, the professors feel empowered that they don't feel like they have to run to the OSA every time something happens. You know, they should feel like, okay, I know how to handle this. So, and, and I, and I didn't get that sense. So a lot of them said, you know, I want to make sure that they were paranoid about breaking the law. I came up again, like what, you know, well, am I going to get in trouble if I don't do this exactly, or if I don't cater to the student? Um, a lot of times it's a miscommunication. So that's why I say, you know, connect with that student because Sometimes you can just talk to the student and be like, look, what do you need? And if you, you connect with that person, you know, if they need a shorter test, you know, three questions is too much for them to answer. Can I just answer one or two? If you connect with that person and you like them and they're able to accommodate, you know what, go ahead and just answer two, no problem. They don't need to go running to the OSA. They don't need to go, you know, they've worked it out. That's why, you know, and I've written articles, connect with your, you know, some, just even a phone call or something, connect, connect, connect with your professors. They're, professors are people too, you know, they're not these big scary bullies that are out to get everybody. So, you know, um, and I, and I, that's, you know, I want the students to know that and I want the professors to know that too, so. Right. 
Well, and to your point, um, I don't think I've ever gotten an accommodation request that I felt was like, I, I can't do this. You know, yeah. it's, it's always, you know, something, and they're not minor accommodations either, it, mm -hmm. but they're not outside of the scope of just my classroom, you know, yeah. asking for extra time to turn in an assignment or, um, but even the language, it's interesting. And, and I don't know if I've just, I'm picking up on the language, but when you're so focused on not breaking the law, mm -hmm. I mean, that seems like such a stat, like such a low bar to set, right? As opposed to, hey, they're a human being. Yeah. Like, how would you treat, everything else aside, how would you treat someone that was having challenges at home or mm -hmm. having some sort of emotional yep. or mental or just life event, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and maybe this is why I'm partial to Pepperdine because I've always felt that Pepperdine is very much mm -hmm. about our students. But when you set the bar so low, when mm -hmm. it's just about not breaking the law, not getting into trouble, mm -hmm. how, how can you, how can you tap into the brilliance that's in each of our students? And that also focusing on avoiding doing the wrong thing just mm -hmm. sort of takes away from that servant leadership mm -hmm. how can i make this happen how can yes. i help how can i facilitate how can what yes you know how can i be um a piece of what makes this happen so it's it's so unfortunate that perspective is so unfortunate because it removes all of the kind of goodwill and possibility well, the joy of teaching is you know you right. like what you do so, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i'm wondering do you do you have a kind of a, a picture of like a like a, a team within each department that would handle that would kind of handle this or um some kind of ideal maybe training for faculty or support well, for faculty or first <laughs> i would like to ideally and i think this was mentioned earlier and i probably didn't answer it but if i uh first getting the colleges to be where you two seem to be right now you understanding how important this is um mm -hmm. i've met um in my many months since graduating uh, I've met with President, I met with Temple University, I met with, um, there's a, a college in New Jersey, Delaware County Community College, Westchester University, because I'm from Pennsylvania, so I met with some of those um, college in Florida. I've met with these presidents of the university and some of their uh, diversity accessibility officers, zero interest. So where you are in your mindset, Dr. Maria, right now, they are not there yet and they have no interest. So my job right now is first to break that wall. First, I got to boom, 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 yeah. break down that wall yeah. of this is important and you're going to listen to me because this is so important. Right now, that's kind of where I am because uh, you understand, you understand how valuable it is. And Dr. Gabriella was saying, you know, connecting with the student, just, you know, you can work these things out and, and Pepperdine has a wonderful community and they have empathy and compassion and support. Like I said earlier, is that true for every single university in the nation? 
and then of the world like look at you know england and scotland and i you know china you know them it's not it, pepperdine is very special like that that's one of the reasons i went there is because i felt supported but um that's not the same at stanford or usc or ucla it's just it's you know i i one of you know one of my uh, study participants said he used to teach at um uh, a public university and he came to Pepperdine or to, you know, that one of the, uh, one of these sub support at Pepperdine and also at Mount St. Mary's. So he's teaching at different places in this, in, you know, this area. Mm -hmm. And he found that going to private school versus public school was so much better because there were so many people. Mm -hmm. If you're teaching 400 people it, or 200 people in a class, how do you uh, reach? So there were a lot of professors that went from public school to private school because of just like you said, that there's, there's something special about Pepperdine, about um, private schools, but also about um, Pepperdine in particular, they do have um, a special connection with their students and support for the students. So, yeah. Well, Dr. Toby, thank you so much. As we come to a close here in the next few minutes, is there anything that you wanna leave our listeners with or us with that we could take away any nugget of wisdom that you'd love to share with us? Oh, um, well, um, as far as um, wisdom, I just, I think um, connecting with students, um, if you're a faculty member, I think, um, I think everybody has some sort of connection with someone with a disability and that they shouldn't be afraid to learn more and to bring that to you, a classroom. If you're a classroom professor, um, get to know the students. That's the main thing that I found. And, and ask questions, ask, go, go ask questions um, to administration at uh, universities. Don't, you know, um, not just me, but don't be afraid to change the way, you know, you're talking about diversity. Um, people with disabilities, they're, they're there, they're there and they need your support. So, um, you know, find them and, 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 you know, I, one of my recommendations was to have groups, um, like I have speakers, um, with disabilities like myself or alumni. Um, come and tell this is how I was successful because you know there's less than one percent of people with disabilities get a PhD or an EDD that needs to change we you need to start thinking of you know I'm a scholar so I they need to start thinking that they are scholars too and not be you know intimidated or afraid or you know I was told I'm not good at this or I'm not good at math or I'm not good at statistics do it anyway, you know, do it and, and ask for help and, um, you know, go to college and, you know, they shouldn't be afraid to apply, um, you know, and a lot of his mindset and positive thinking, um, you know, if you think you can do it, I, I don't let anybody tell me that I can't do something. If I want to do it, I do it. So, um, you know, determination and just, um, and, and surround yourself with positive people, um, like the people, like you said, at Pepperdine who are very supportive and, um, positive and, and, you know, make it so that we can achieve and graduate. That's what we want to do. We want to graduate. So, yeah. well, thank you for that. Thank you. Um,
I 100% agree with the representation piece. I think that the more people we can shepherd through the process and we see more of who we are in all of us, I think we'll have a stronger community that way, right? Um, and, and if you see someone that has, or if someone's willing, it's not a C because disability is, isn't just a seen thing, but yeah. if someone's willing to share that they have their own challenges and their own disabilities, um, that makes it, it makes it more attainable. It makes it more um, achievable. If you yourself have a disability, you know that there's so many people like you, you're not alone, you're not an other. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I think that's so important mm -hmm. in so many different ways. So I'm that's, right there with you. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful because for, I think, uh, and I, I felt that way in uh, K through 12, when I was little, I thought I was the only one. Why am I the only one getting pulled out to go to the resource room? Or why am I the only one who has to go to this or go to that? Um, so, or, you know, go for tutoring after school or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that, and there, it, I just, I absolutely agree with you. We're not alone. I think, you know, they said one in five people have ADHD. So, you know, we're out, you know, we're out there. So, um, yeah. So I, I'm so blessed and thank you so much for having me today. I'm so glad to be here with all you all supported me at some point during my, my journey. So, um, yeah, I mean, I met you back, Dr. Gabrielle, back in 17 with Dr. Farzine. <laughs> so, yep. yeah. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So pleased and proud of yeah, thank you, you and your work. And oh my goodness, what a yeah, pleasure to get to have you here now. Yeah, look at yeah. that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so fortunate to get to have you here. It's been just thank a you. wonderful conversation. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, yeah. So great to have you. you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And um, yeah. So, with that, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and close our session tonight. Thank you to our guests, Dr. Toby Baker, um, to our co-hosts, Dr. Asia and Dr. Brahme. Um, and thank you all for joining us today. If you have enjoyed today's session, please remember to click on the subscribe button and have a wonderful weekend.